Chapter 9 of Stormy, Misty's Foal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stormy, Misty's Foal by Marguerite Henry. Waiting for the Whirlybird. Getting home was rough going and agonizingly slow. The horses plodded through the water when they could and swam when they had to. Paul and Grandpa stopped once to let them blow. Then they pressed on, man and creature eager for home. Almost there, Paul saw the higher ground of Pony Ranch, with the building still standing brave and whole, the cottage, its green roof darkened by the rain, the made-over chicken coop and the hay house and the smoke house, but they looked littler than before and somehow frightened, with the sea creeping up on them. At the gate, Grandpa made his decision. Ride down to the smokehouse, Paul, he said. Pick us out a big ham. If we got to go, we ain't showing up over on the main empty-handed. I'll dry off Billy Blaze and see about Misty. Skipper swam out to meet Paul, then paddled alongside all the way to the smokehouse. Round as a silo and perched on the highest spot of the ranch, the smokehouse was a landmark for ships in the channel. Inside, it was a friendly place, with its exciting smells, sweet and smoky. In the little while it took Paul to select the biggest ham and to cut a piece of rind for Skipper, the rain turned to icy sleet. Grandpa was throwing an old red blanket over Misty when Paul looked in. Grandpa, he cried. Misty standing in water. So am I. But you're not going to have a colt. Wished I was. Then maybe I'd get a bit of coddling. But Grandpa, what are we going to do with her? The only thing left to do. What's that? Take her smack into the kitchen. Into Grandma's kitchen? The very one. And that's where she's going to stay till tide ebbs. Whew! How are you going to ask her? I ain't asking. I'll just put her halter on and lead her up the steps and onto the porch and in through the door. No, I mean, how are you going to ask Grandma? Oh, I ain't asking her neither. I'll just tell her, quiet-like. But Grandpa didn't tell her quietly. He led up to it like a growing storm. Idy, Maureen, he thundered as he and Paul stomped in. Your menfolk are home. Praise be the Lord, Grandma exclaimed. I've been so worried I couldn't do a lick of work. Just sat by the window praying double quick time. Tell it now, Paul whispered to Grandpa. Now ain't the time. But Missy's feet are wet. Won't hurt her none. Salt water's good for feet, man or beast. He turned now to Grandma. Idy, dear, don't set the table. We'll just stand up and eat beans and sop up the lasses with some of your good bread. Then we got some packing to do, Idy, dear. Grandma mimicked. Don't you, Idy, dear me, Clarence Beebe. What you up to? Your face is red as a gobbler's waddle. Paul giggled nervously. Often he had thought their Tom Turkeys and Grandpa looked alike, but he had never dared say it. He couldn't stop giggling, and soon Maureen was laughing along with him. Grandma began to chuckle without knowing why. I declare to goodness, 
Hearing people laugh is like sunshine flooding the house. It's flooding I want to talk to you about, Idy. The laughter stopped. Grandpa's voice was stern. All morning, helicopters been carrying off the sick. Now they're coming for folks as is well. Not me they ain't, Grandma flared up. They can just count me out. I'm too old to start riding across the sky in an egg beater. All righty. Maybe you prefer staying here and having sharks and crabs slinking into your house and grabbing you. He winked at the children. Remember the day when that crab pinched your grandma when she was bending over gathering oysters? Why, she went off like one of them big rockets from Wallops Beach. Grandma turned her back and began slicing bread with a vengeance. But what'll happen to Misty? Maureen asked in alarm. I'll stay with Misty, Grandma announced without turning around. Much as I dislike treating ponies like folks, I admit to a kinship when she's having a baby. Grandpa cut open the can of beans with his knife. Paul, he growled, maybe you can explain things to your grandma. It's true, Grandma, Paul said, helping himself to the heel of bread. Tide's coming back four foot higher, and the island's going to be contaminated, going to be spoilt rotten with dead chickens and stinky fish, and snakes and mushrats, and maybe even dead horses. He looked at Grandpa, wishing he hadn't said that. Then he went on quickly. Health officials want everybody to clear out. They say there could be a fierce epidemic. No one spoke. Grandma sat down at the table and stared vacantly. She brushed imaginary crumbs into her hand. Well, Heidi, Grandpa said, you can have your druthers. Do you want to stay and take a chance on losing Paul and Maureen to the typhoid? Or do you want to light out now, afore the tide pushes us out? For the first time, Grandma began to waver. Why, I had no idea t'was that bad, Clarence. Well, tis, way to look at it is, people got to go. Why, up to the north end of the island, there was one big fat lady, weighed nigh 200 pound, and this lady and her teenage girl, and her girl's beau, was sitting in their house just talking away, and all too once, a big wash of the sea came spang into their sitting room, and they was scrambling atop tables and chairs, and they would have clumped into the attic if they'd had one. But they didn't. And that young boy, he had to saw a hole in their ceiling, mind you, and he climbed up into the teensy airspace there under the roof, and with him a-pullin', and the girl a-pushin', they squeezed the mother up through the hole. Grandpa stopped for a breath. What happened to them? Maureen asked. Yup, and long about daybreak, the boys sawed a hole in the roof, and they all climbed out, and later, one of them whirlybirds come down and rescues the three of them from the rooftop, all shivery and wet and hungry. Now, Idy, how'd you like it if we had to cut a hole in our purty green roof, and I'd have to haul you up like a sack of potatoes? Paul nudged Grandpa. Tell her now. So you see, Idy, we could be next. Already floodwaters is a-seeping into Misty's stable. She's coming into your kitchen, he announced. And that's where she's going to stay till the tide's out. Good heavings. Grandma looked beaten. Now then, Grandpa went on heartily, you better start packing. We'll want a blanket apiece, 
and were taking a beautiful ham to surprise the mainlanders. And speaking of eating, these beans is Paul's treat. At last, Grandma accepted the truth. She began to scurry about, talking to herself. We got to take some soap for sure, and we'll have to have a comb, and... Grandpa and the children left her to her bustling. There was much to be done before the helicopter came. Misty had to be brought into the kitchen, and before that, the marsh ponies in the hay house had to be made comfortable. Let's lift down the top bales, Grandpa directed when they reached the long shed. We'll pile them deep over the whole floor. That way, even their feet will be dry. And if we don't break open the bales, Paul said, it'll take them just that much longer to eat the hay. They could live for a week in here, Maureen said. Exactly, Grandpa nodded. No need to worry about them. Then it was Misty's turn. Paul had expected to lead her out of her stall quietly and that she would foot her way along carefully as any broad mare should. But the moment he put on her halter, she began quivering as if the wind and waves called up the wildness in her. Her head went up, her tail went up, her ears pricked sharply, and even in the bitter cold, she broke out in sweat. Whoa there, girl, whoa, Paul soothed. He slid his hand through her halter as he opened her door. But with one leap, she was in the water, lifting him off his feet. She didn't want to be led. She wanted to splash and play like any chinkotique pony. Grandpa grabbed her from the other side. Maureen, he yelled. You hop on and ride her to the steps. Me and Paul will guide her from behind. Maureen climbed aboard. Through her legs, she could feel Misty's heart pounding. The water was up to Misty's knees. Then a swirl of it hit her belly. She tried to jump over it. Maureen grabbed a handful of mane. Yahoo! she cried in startled surprise. Misty tried one more leap, then settled down and went steadily forward. She reached the steps well ahead of Paul and Grandpa, who came wading up, out of breath. Now, here's the touchy part, Grandpa panted. Steps are mighty slippery, and we don't want her falling and hurting herself. But Misty had been up these steps before. She clomped up happily, lifting each foot high. On the top step, she paused, mesmerized. A little brown rabbit sat stock still on the porch rail, not a whisker twitching. It seemed more statue than real. The two creatures stared at each other, the big soft brown eyes, and the small beady ones. Misty snorted as if to say, What you doing here? Go on back to your briar patch. But the rabbit never budged, not even when Misty stretched out her neck and breathed right in its face. Grandpa guffawed. Even then, the cheeky little thing stood its ground, more afraid of the rising water than of people or ponies. He's sassing Misty. Paul laughed. Don't eye me, ma'am, he's saying. I've been flooded out. Same as you. At last, Misty grew bored and ambled across the porch, through the back hall, and right into the kitchen. When they were all crowded inside, Grandpa took off his hat in a sweeping bow. Meet Idy, my wife, he said. Grandma winced. We met before, she said dryly. Then her heart melted. 
Take off your purty red shawl, Misty, she said, entering into the game, and make yourself at home. She went to the refrigerator while Misty followed after, snatching a streamer of her apron. Grandma jumped in fright, almost stumbling over her apron on the floor. Why, that ungrateful rascal, I've a good notion to put these carrots back in the box. But she didn't. She held them out and let Misty lip them. Feels tickly, her lips and whiskers, don't they? Paul and Maureen exchanged glances. Grandma stiffened. You're all dripping pools of water on my clean floor, she sighed. But no matter now, I guess. How soon will the helicopter come for us, she asked. Right soon, Grandpa replied. Come on, son, we better hurry and haul in plenty of straw for Misty. After they had made a deep rustly bed for her in the kitchen, there was nothing left to do. Four blankets and the ham were ready and waiting, and Misty was already at home, contentedly munching wisps of hay while Maureen combed her mane. As the minutes dragged on, Grandma grew pale and fidgety. She busied herself pouring an extra bowl of milk for wait a minute. Then she began watering her sweet potato vine and her fern. That's my girl, Grandpa came over and patted her shoulder. That's my girl. Then he broke into a sudden howl as he caught her wetting down a plant of artificial violets. Even Grandma laughed at herself, and her color came back. Believe now I'll just sit down and play us a hymn, she said. I hate waiting for anything, especially helicopters. She opened up the organ and began playing and singing. Her voice quavered at first, then grew stronger as if she wanted to reach God in his heaven direct. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. That's great, Idy. Misty's ears is keeping time, turning ever which way. Then Grandpa saw the helicopter breaking through the dun-colored sky. Plant once more, he urged. Just once more. No use worrying her too soon, he thought. Again, Grandma's trembly voice filled the little house. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. End of chapter 9